Well, the episodes 7 and 8 of The Last Dance aired on Sunday, which means today is Monday, and this will be released on Tuesday, and that Elaine Shercliffe is back. Hey, how's it going? It's going great, and of course, we're here to talk about the la- or the most recent episodes of The Last Dance, as we do on Mondays. Yeah. I'm going to miss this after next Monday. Well, you know, uh, we can always figure out something else to do uh, once this is over. True. Uh, or they could just release more footage of everything ever for the last dance. See, that would be fantastic. Unfortunately, <laughs> I think we're only going to get what we're going to get. Um, episode 7 started off where we all expected it to start it off. And that was Michael's retirement. And there were some things leading up to Michael's retirement that I, I know that you're not necessarily a fan of the way it was handled from the media perspective. Yeah, I, um, my mom and I talked about this a lot last night, um, but we feel like that's when the rise of speculation journalism happened in a really aggressive manner um, where it almost seemed like a smear campaign uh, against someone who is just very real. And so it wasn't like you didn't know that Michael Jordan wasn't perfect. It's just people wanted to take him down. And um, from, from seeing articles that were written, like living in Chicago and then seeing articles that were written outside of Chicago, speculating that, he essentially killed his dad because of his gambling and that these were hits on his dad because of that and just really placing a lot of blame onto him, which I didn't really like because in every situ- in almost every situation you hear in when someone's grieving that they feel like they wish they could have done something different. And if you're a media member and you don't actually know the story and you don't actually know what's going on, I mean, there is a place for speculation journalism a little bit, but not so much um, like that. It was kind of cheap, I think, in my opinion. And I agree that it was cheap. Uh, it, I don't, I don't recall seeing this at the time because I wasn't, I wasn't old enough to understand what was happening. I didn't even know until much later on um, that his dad uh, had died in that particular fashion. Because at the time when this happened, I was five. So I wasn't necessarily exposed to things like that. You know, seeing the the newspaper clippings and the stories that they were showing during The Last Dance, I was like, this is disgusting. Are you kidding? Like, right. th- there, there are things that you print and there are things that you think to yourself. Could that possibly be related? Even though you pretty much dismiss it fairly quickly. Maybe you have that thought. Not that I agree with that thought, but there's a there's a certain way to handle it. And it seems like right. there was no um, editing or review process that was, hey, Michael Jordan's story? Print it. Let's go. Right. So, like, imagine being in the third grade, because that's, like, that's where I was at in my life. 93 was going into a third grade, and then that whole year. And um, just, like, imagine seeing your idol someone that you admired and you're really into reading now and you're picking up every newspaper you can and 
you're reading things from like the New York Times and from all over the country and you're just seeing these stories as a third grader and they're just really going into depth about it. And I'm not saying that like, you know, I mean, how many third graders are reading the news? I know, but like, <laughs> but it was such like a hot topic in our area that it, it definitely changed my perspective, perception of media um, at a young age and really made like help me figure out then what I wanted to be as a sports journalist because it was in the second grade that I said I wanted to be a sports journalist among many other things as well but to have that so early in life an example of who you don't want to be <laughs> was um it was it was rough though because you know you're like in third grade you think every sports journalist is like awesome until you read that kind of crap yeah, and sometimes uh, the examples of what not to be can be just as impactful, if not more so, to to something uh, like for you when it comes to sports journalism. Something you did mention, though, was the, the speculative aspect of all of these articles. And uh, before we recorded, I mentioned that it's a, it's a very fine line in between uh, making an educated guess based off of information or making or trying to play connect the dots with actual some sort of factual basis and throwing shit against the wall. It seemed like they were just throwing shit against the wall to try and find some sort of reason and try and be like, you know, Michael's been dealing with all this stuff. He's gambling. Now his dad's dead. Is it because he gambled a whole lot and owed somebody a whole bunch of money? There was no real, it was just, they were trying to connect dots that weren't there. Yeah, exactly. And it was, <clears throat> even when I look back on it now, it just makes me sick to my stomach. Because it's like people, I think a lot of people forget that athletes are human. They're people too. And I think that was very highlighted in the episodes last night, especially after they won the championship on Father's Day, just how human a person can be. Yeah, when when they showed the uh, the footage from him uh, winning the championship, I uh, started to get a little teary-eyed there just from watching it. Because uh, yeah. you could see the emotion that he had when... When he won it, and, you know, it was the first time he won without his, his dad in attendance and without his dad being, you know, alive. So you can tell it, was, it weighed a lot on him, you know, while he was still on the court and back in the locker room when he was just on the floor sobbing. It was just. But I will give credit to the media on that aspect is um, there are people that had to capture that moment as a, as a journalist, as a photographer, sometimes you have to capture moments that break your heart a little bit um but they didn't go overboard and they gave him that space and they let people in to make sure he was okay and then that was it they were done they weren't there and I, I remember I think it was Bob Green um he was a columnist for one of the papers in Chicago back then I I think he was the one that touched on it and commended the media for um giving that space and not like still doing their job within reason without making it um, so uncomfortable, I guess they, yeah. they didn't cross that. They didn't cross that line. They, yeah. they towed it. There was, there was a very, very careful way that they handled it because they, they very easily could have completely done this the wrong way. And it would just look bad, uh, you know, looking back on it you know, almost 25 years ago. Exactly. 
Um, let's let's go back into some happier times now. Let's cheer up a little bit. You know, uh, hasn't been the the most uh, upbeat start to this, but it wasn't an upbeat <laughs> start to the episode. So I guess it was right. it was. Uh, I guess we had to discuss that particular information, but. Uh, he Michael Jordan retired and he went to go play baseball. And yeah. It did not seem uh like a lot of people were necessarily believing in his quest to go play baseball even though they they talked in length about how much that he wanted to be a baseball player and his dad wanted him to be a baseball player and you know baseball was like his you know his favorite sport. And like he was just really into baseball. Yeah, like, it's actually really funny to me to hear people say that they were shocked that he wanted to play baseball. Um, I mean, it shocked me that he actually did it. <laughs> like, he actually went and did it. Um, but I just remember, because he talked about baseball, because he was around it, and every time he talked about his dad, he talked about um, he talked about baseball. You know, like, it, it wasn't so much of a shock, I guess. I don't know. I think, I also think that some of us were just like really numb and confused <laughs> um, when he did retire. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I just remember like my, my teacher um, making us listen to the speech, the press conference on the radio. Um, and we were, you know, we were, we heard rumors for so long that it wasn't really like a hundred percent shock you know, and he didn't um, publicly dump anyone. Like, he let the team know what he was doing before he announced it and everything. So mm -hmm. that was, like, a really good thing. Um, but I think for me it helped because my teacher then afterwards, she got really silent. Um, Mrs. Her name is Mrs. Swanson. So in case she's listening or still alive, like, you changed my life. <laughs> um, but she really explained to us that, you know, just because you're at the top of everything doesn't mean you can't walk away and take care of yourself and um, do something new and heal. And so when he said he was going to baseball, it just kind of made sense at that point um, because our teacher had said that to us and we'd heard all along that his dad loved baseball. And, so. and what it really seemed like is that, you know, if you consider the – uh, events of the episode prior where it just seemed like he was getting sort of exhausted sort of just tired of dealing with all of the basketball related things that he needed to clear his head and that's why he went to go play baseball gave him a chance to to take on something new gave him a chance to get away from the well, he's not going to always get away from it, but the, the constant eyes on him is going to be a lot different playing for the Birmingham Barons compared to the Chicago Bulls. So I guess from from an eyes on perspective, it seemed like it, he might have been able to live like more of a normal athlete as much as he possibly could be being the most famous athlete on the planet. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, because as the as they mentioned, they had to send him to Double A because there was only there was a certain press requirement because of how many people were going to be following him. The other lower leagues were not necessarily capable of handling what was needed to cover Michael Jordan playing baseball. Right, and I mean, it turned out well, anyways, for him in the beginning. 
when he was hitting fastballs, not breaking balls. And then, <laughs> then once they started throwing him breaking balls, he turned into Pedro Serrano of Major League and certainly could not connect with anything. And that led to uh, an infamous cover from Sports Illustrated where it's, it's a picture of him swinging at missing. And it says, bag it, Michael. I hated that cover. I hated it with a passion. Somebody in my family bought me that SI um, issue. And I, no joke, I ripped the cover off. And then I threw it in the fire. (laughs) Because I was so mad. It might be worth a little bit something now. Uh, Well, right. But but at at the time. At the time. (laughs) because leading up to that, like they said, he he was what was he had like a thirteen game hitting streak or something something crazy, you know, for someone who's just going into another sport. Mm-hmm. And then he has a few missteps, and people are like, "He sucks." And I just I was so mad. I just was so protective of Michael Jordan as a child, and like Robin Ventura, like I don't. <laughs> I was such a weird child. I think ultimately there was probably a certain faction of, you know, sports writers, sports analysts, sports personalities that were may have had an active rooting interest in him failing at baseball just for him to go back to basketball, because he's such a, a I guess, uh, iconic basketball player that you're paying attention to him to see him play baseball what would, during what would be the prime years of his basketball career it probably made some people i guess mad which probably led to this cover here and yeah. you know as michael said uh i never talked to them again so that was their own damn fault <laughs> yep and that's the thing and i i tell people so this is another media thing um i tell people and i tell myself cuz i had a slip up this year Um, And I said something unkind about a player near their presence, (laughs) which made for an awkward season. Um, But so this is coming from experience, but also from before. Like, I I just got to experience going against my own advice Um, is, you know, you you may want to say something really bad about a player and you you may want to... um, capitalize on their failures or things that they struggle with but you have to do it tactfully and you can't do it because you want to get hits or because you want to sell papers because they might not read it and not just them there's a whole group like their teammates might not want to talk to you this didn't happen to me the teammates still talk to me but like depending on how bad of what you said or what you did you might have just inadvertently blacklisted yourself and you have to think, is it worth it? And if you think it's worth it, then go for it. If it, if it's something that like is the difference between right and wrong and you're going on the right side, then go with it. But if it is going to just totally ruin your career for absolutely nothing, then why are you doing it? And it, like I said, it could have been someone who had an active uh, interest in Michael failing at baseball because he wanted them to go back to basketball. And I know there are people like that out there that just want to see certain guys fail. Um, 
you know, I know a lot of people um, essentially did the same thing when uh, Tim Tebow decided to go play baseball. People were just like, you know, had an active rooting interest in him failing. Now, he's done better than I thought he would. Um, yeah. Which is good for him. But, I mean, the, the reality with Tim Tebow is he's probably going to stay in, at the double-A level. It, the only way I think he ever sees MLB action is if uh, a ton of injuries or the Mets are, like, 40 games out of it. <laughs> right. Which I think might have been a similar situation uh, for Michael in, in baseball. Even though um, he did have... I, I, he did well for what you for someone who hasn't played in almost 15 years. You know, hitting 200 is not great, but it's better. Than I think a lot of people expected him to. Right. And he drove in 50 runs. Oh, Tito, Tito, Tito! Talking about that was just so great. It was so Tito. It was so Terry Francona. And I just love that be... he made an appearance. Me too. I mean, I I was hoping he would. Just because I knew he was a part of a big, well, he was the manager of the team. But, like, I, he, or was he the coach? Regardless. He was the manager. I I just remember, like, my dad and I being so excited when he came to the Indians because because of all this. Um, so, it is kind of interesting that the Indians and the Cubs played each other and the White Sox and the Cubs don't get along. And Terry Francona was in the White Sox system. <laughs> Anyways, I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, it's fine. Um, but uh, you mentioned Terry Francona. He didn't get a lot of airtime on The Last Dance. But luckily, he was on the Baseball Tonight podcast with Buster Olney. Um, it was an interview that recorded weeks prior. But because of everything being shut down, everything being the way it is and the fact that they bumped up the last dance, they held on to the interview for a few weeks and released it on this past Friday. And so he went into in-depth. I, If you have the time to listen to his interview, I highly encourage it. It's very entertaining. Uh, you certainly get a lot more information out of there. One particular story I like, though, is that they're talking about, you know, playing games and stuff, you know, you know, Yahtzee, cards, whatever. And it turns out that they played this pickup basketball game at Terry Francona's uh, apartment complex he had. You know, it was nothing special, uh, just a blacktop basketball hoops with chain nets or whatever. All right, so they're playing, you know, th- you know, they're talking, doing some little competitive stuff like that, right? And so Michael's got the ball at, like, the, the top of the key. He's got it, and this guy's on him. So Terry Francona's like, I'm going to go set a pick. He comes, up to, he comes up to go set a pick, and he's like, get out of here. So he just, like, basically sends him away. And so, as Terry said, he kind of waddles away, which is the perfect way to describe the way he walks sometimes. <laughs> so, then Michael Jordan proceeds to to go dunk. He completely bends the rim on the dunk. The guy's on the ground. He looks over me and says, don't ever talk to me in my house. <laughs> Terry Francona proceeds to end the game. He's like, nope, we're done. I don't want to see this get escalated. I don't want to see any fights. I don't want to see anything like that. I just thought that was a very funny story that... Uh, Tito happened to tell. That is, <laughs> that is actually really good. <laughs> I want footage of that. I want footage of so many things. <laughs> so I just thought that was such a, a good story that you know that Terry was able to tell about some of the off the field things that Michael got into, and the fact that 
he still, you know, played pickup basketball, and even with these minor league baseball players who were probably nobodies. <laughs> I'm sure maybe right. one of them made an appearance in, in Major League Baseball at some point, but it's just, it's funny that they they got to see real MJ in a pickup game, and those guys are probably frightened when he started to <laughs> say, don't ever talk to me in my house. <laughs> Because you know he didn't go easy. Oh no, he broke that. He broke that hoop. <laughs> right, like he did it. You know, he just does. He just went hard all the time. Yeah, he he definitely went hard. Um, now there was um, some interesting things going on with uh, the Bulls while um, Michael was still playing baseball. It, it was it was most notably the Scottie Pippen sitting out that possession for Tony Kukoc's game-winning shot, which was a beautiful shot, by the way. And it's kind of entertaining that someone that the Bulls literally tried to end not that long <laughs> ago was the one making the game-winning shot at the time. Right. <laughs> oh, Scottie. <laughs> Oh, I just, um, I wish I could find the tweet. We talked about it beforehand, but someone had tweeted out that people in Chicago um, can't remember how much time was left when the shot happened. Um, Can't remember how much time, like in super important moments in history, you know, for sports. But you could ask any Chicago person around that time that like followed the team around that time. And they could tell you how long Scotty Pippen sat out for. (laughs) And it's so true because it was so, I think it was just so jarring to people. Like he was supposed to step in for Michael and, and like, I don't know if, if Jordan would have, would have just sat just because he was having like, a moment. Yeah, uh, definitely don't think Jordan would have sat one. Two, when you combine this with Scotty's previous migraine issue, that I think there are certain people that still don't believe he had migraines, uh, not necessarily the best look for him that way. And there was one comment he made, and he said, even though he apologized and he understood and all this other stuff after Bill Cartwright had his big speech, something caught me that I... I by surprise a little bit and it was he said he wouldn't change anything listen i can tell you that from personal experience there are a few very bad things that i have done in my life and if i had the chance to go back in time and change them there is a very high possibility that i would not change them because of where it led me to in life and so i wonder if um you know, like Tony Kukoc might not have gotten his like day, you know, like people really started to look at Tony Kukoc in Chicago as like the real deal after he sank that shot. Um, I think it was a reminder to Scotty that this team was a team and that it wasn't just because Michael had been there and that all the weight wasn't actually on his shoulders. Um, so I just wonder what else would have maybe changed in his mindset had he never had done that? 
I don't know. That's just me. From a reflective standpoint, I guess, uh, you know, I agree from that standpoint, you know, looking back and being like, how did this change my mindset? But just from, he basically threw a hissy fit, you know what I mean? Just like, I'm not getting the ball, I'm not going in. It's just, that that's the thing that, that kind of irked me about it, is that he wouldn't, I don't know if he's not saying, I don't know if he was referencing the, the reflective part like you mentioned, or the I'm not going in part when he said I wouldn't change a thing, but it just, it kind of irked me a little bit. Well, that's what I mean. Like, if he hadn't gone in, though, like, if he had gone in. He still wouldn't be getting the ball. He was supposed to be the guy passing the ball in, right? Right, but, like, what if he passed it wrong? Or what if it was just off a hair? I know that sounds weird, but, like, things do happen for a reason, and maybe him sitting down really put that fire in people that was like oh this is it's my time now it's my time now you know what I mean like I don't know that's why I'm okay with it because none of us can really go back in time and know 100% sure that we would definitely change something we did especially at this far ahead in life because when you look at where your life is and where things are at and how games turned out and all of that. Um, and who knows, like maybe if he had stayed in, they would have won the championship with Scottie Pippen. I don't know. Like, that's the thing. We don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, it just kind of irked me a little bit. I'm just like, really? I mean, maybe, maybe you feel that way. I don't know if that's something you want to communicate in a documentary setting. I mean, there's a lot of things that you probably shouldn't communicate in this documentary that have been communicated. I mean, that would have been one of them. I mean, because just just the way it, I wouldn't have said anything. Maybe it's something that you you keep to yourself or you say when there aren't cameras or recording devices around. But it just seemed like, yeah, that's definitely going to make the documentary, Scotty. Why would you say that? But that's what makes this documentary so great is they're just being themselves and most people that they've interviewed are just speaking their truth across the board whether people agree with it or not and I actually very much enjoy it because it's very real and how many times do you interview someone and you just get a bunch of bullshit like <laughs> canned answers <laughs> that no one wants to hear yeah I mean I mean that's yeah. fair that's fair I mean, we see it. We see it in hockey. How many people have said, "Well, to win the game, we need to put more pucks on net." Oh, okay. Maybe I should ask a better question too. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so, so moving forward here, um, as we all know, uh, Michael is still playing baseball. And there was the the strike, and uh, Michael was asked if he wanted to play as a replacement player, you know, cross the picket line, as it were. And, of course, to no one's surprise, he said no. Because how would he feel if he was an NBA player, or if he was in the NBA and someone else did that? You know, he's just, he had a different perspective than maybe some other players did. Uh, And he didn't participate, and that essentially ended his... His baseball endeavor was was the strike and the lockout and all that other crap. Then he starts showing up at Bulls practice. Then it's more than once. Then it's like, 
hey, is he really going to do this? Is he really going to, is he going to come back? And the speculation just kept building and building and building. Then the most epic two-word facts of all time. I'm back. Michael Jordan announces his return to basketball with the most baller move possible. It was the most beautiful day of my youth. <laughs> um, it was just, it was so him and I just, I loved it. I love it now. I, not many people could get away with that. <laughs> um, but the way the city took to it was just so great. Like there were so many billboards everywhere and there were spreads in the paper the next day with his picture with all it said was I'm back. And um, there was, and I wish I could, I wish I still had it. Um, there was just this, mini paper that you could buy and it's the front and it's just him. And it's like a black background and it's, um, it's a picture of him in the red unis and it says I'm back. And then inside is just pictures of memories. It's just pictures. That's all it is. It's not even like any, any other writing. And it, it's just like, it was so simple but it was so perfect and so many people took their imaginations to just promote the fact that he was back. And it was an absolute incredible uh, moment for the Bulls. I mean, cause they had their, they had their little run the year before, but obviously they got knocked out, but Michael Jordan being back changed things. And it was only what couple games in where he scored 55 against the Knicks in Madison square garden. Right? <laughs> and that's when it's real, like, I'm back, baby. <laughs> it's like, it, it was, I'm back, and he was kind of rusty the first game. Then, you know, he he picks some stuff up. Then he's just like, yeah, I'm going to go score 55 against the Knicks. You know, no big deal. <laughs> yeah. He probably went home that night and listened to everybody, like, just clips of people being like, oh, is he back? Oh, he's not that great anymore. He probably just listened to that all night. <laughs> to fuel him to drop 55 the next game. <laughs> and that's and he he was fantastic, you know. And that was, you know, kind of that little I guess springboard that the the Bulls needed to have that little end of the season run because he only played a handful of games that season before the playoffs because he came back so late. It was only I think what like 17 games maybe. It wasn't I think a lot. So. It wasn't yeah. it wasn't a whole lot. And uh, it, it came and they ended up playing, I think it was the Hornets in round one, correct? Yeah, it wasn't against BJ. Yep, BJ Armstrong, former Bull, now Charlotte and Hornets. Snitch. And, and Snitch. And Snitch. And so, I really think that he was a snitch even more now when they asked him. And he was like, yeah, I mean, he was an asshole. <laughs> and he got, like, really uncomfortable. Like, he didn't want to divulge any more of what he thought about the situation. I'm like, you were the snitch. <laughs> you saw you saw some gears turn just being like, oh, shit, what did I just say at that moment <laughs> in time? But they're, they're playing the Hornets. 
Michael Jordan storing number 45 um, at the time. This is before he switches to 23. Back to 23. But they're playing against the Hornets. And BJ, BJ Armstrong hits that shot. And he's celebrating. And you know he's gesturing towards all of his former teammates. And he is having the time of his life. He is on cloud nine. And I'm like... How many times have we seen this before and it not end up well? I mean, you of all people, BJ, should know better. You were his teammate at one point. When people trash talk Michael Jordan, it doesn't end up well. If people do these celebrations it, with Michael Jordan being on the losing side of something, it doesn't end well. And it, what's funny is how many of his teammates were like, what did you do? <laughs> it, he ignited the uh, the little fire that, that MJ needed to just be like, yeah, I'm done with you. And just, they, it was a buzzsaw after that. Yeah. <laughs> it was a buzzsaw. Um, it was after the BJ Armstrong game. He switched back to 23, right? That was when it was. Um, I think so. I'm not, I'm... I'm trying to, I, I that... want to say it was, no, it was against the Magic, wasn't it? Yeah, after Nick Anderson, like, poked the ball away. Oh, yeah, 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 you're right, you're right. Yeah, 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 right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like, that was like My watching mistake. your hero get shot on the battlefield when that happened. <laughs> like, so that ball got taken away. It was like, what? Yep, that was the magic. That was magic in the next round. That was my mistake. Uh, but yeah, that, that magic team, that was a stacked magic team that they played. It was. Just, I mean, if you think about it, though, a lot of the teams that they played back then were just good. Um, like Patrick Ewing, I know this is not the magic, but um, Patrick Ewing was a really good player. Yeah, he's really good, and he was totally overshadowed by Michael his whole entire career. It, it's it's funny you mentioned Patrick Ewing specifically, um, because on uh, a podcast I did last week, I was talking about the Knicks with someone, and um, the fact that during the run of the Knicks, when they had Patrick Ewing over that 20-year stretch, versus their record to what they've had since, which has been, I think, 20 years, the records are like the inverse of each other of the win-loss side. We're heavily favored on the winning side with Ewing and heavily favored on the loss side without him. Yeah. Which I, I think, good. I think it, <laughs> it helps reinforce the fact or helps people not necessarily understand uh, how good Ewing was, understand how how impactful he was as a player. Right. And that I feel like that's how it was on so many teams that just got manhandled by the Bulls, you know? Yeah, and that's that's what we that's what we soon found out um, because after this uh, after they lost to the it was they lost to the Magic. Mm-hmm. Then they had Michael had his uh, he was talking to his trainer, and the trainer was saying that usually it's always like you know come back to me and we'll we'll talk, and um, Michael was just like I'll talk to you tomorrow. Um, blanking on his trainer's name, Tim Grover. I had to pull it up. He was on uh, Pardon My Take today. Um, and uh, saying that, you know, I'll talk to you tomorrow. And they just started working from then. 
And e- even when they went to go work on Space Jam, they had, you know, what they called, was it the Jordan Dome? Yeah, the Jordan Dome. <laughs> I am envious of that Jordan Dome. I mean, I, I, I have uh, I have some weights in my garage during, uh, you know, gyms being closed down, but it's nothing like what they had at the Jordan Dome. Yeah, that... I want to... I wish the Jordan Dome was... Um was like still around <laughs> i want to go visit it <laughs> and the jordan dome was a necessity for while well, he's filming space jam right <laughs> which i thought was going to get a little bit more um attention in this like they, they mentioned it they mentioned his workouts up but they barely even mentioned space jam right i think i wonder if part of the reason why they didn't um mention space jam as much is because they are definitely doing Space Jam 2 soon. And I wonder if they're going to do like a whole other kind of documentary style thing uh, to tie the two Space Jams together. Maybe I like wonder. some sort of companion thing that they could right, do. Like for a, right, like for a marketing standpoint, that would be really smart to um, release the movie and then like release a documentary style thing after the movie's been released that has kind of a documentary of how both of them were shot and stuff. Yeah. That, that, but if that they're not work. doing that, they should. <laughs> yeah. And, and what we saw, we saw a whole bunch of NBA players come play basketball with Michael Jordan for hours, you know, while he's filming space jam. So he's, he's filming the movie. He's playing, what looked to be just epic games of pickup basketball with all much of NBA all-stars. Then he was still, you know, weightlifting. It was just, it seemed like he had like this crazy insane schedule that is 100% uh, not something the average person can do and probably not something even um, a lot of athletes would be able to do. It's just, he's the whole different breed of athlete and that him being able to do all those things at the same time, you know, transform his body back from baseball into basketball, you know, get his conditioning right and film a movie at the same time, all while secretly scouting all of his opponents. Cause that's what they were really right. doing. <laughs> right. Probably. <laughs> um, I, um, I think that I have like a crazy schedule. And then I watched that to realize that he would shoot and then he would go work out and then, he would play games and I, I just, I wish that I had his same mentality um, because sometimes after work, I am done for the day. I'll be done at three 30 and then I'm like, I'm going to do all this stuff. And then I just go sleep because I've done so much other stuff the day before, but he just constantly did it. And then if he wasn't doing something, he's like on the golf course, like, yeah. Did he sleep? Did he actually sleep? Like, do we know if he slept? There's no footage of him sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that wouldn't make great television, although I imagine there's probably a handful of people on NBA Twitter that'd be like, oh my God, recently new, <laughs> new, new found footage of Michael Jordan taking a nap in between shooting Space Jam and playing pickup basketball with Sean Bradley. <laughs> God, I would <laughs> just like a whole a whole episode of naps. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> he just has shirts that has the Nike logo, but it says naps instead of Nike while he's taking a nap. <laughs> instead of just do it, just sleep. <laughs> nope. Just nap. Just nap. Nope. None of that works. No, None just that, remove the word matter. Nike with, and, put, and put the word naps there instead. <laughs> put nappy. <laughs> nappy time. <laughs> <laughs> So after that summer, after he finished Space Jam and all that other stuff, we got to see the return of one of our favorite players. And that was the one, the only, the legendary Dennis Rodman. I love him. So now he was back into the mix. And something I didn't consider until they said it is that what they were missing from the previous year was someone who had the skill set of Horace Grant. Now, that's something I really didn't necessarily consider until they said it. Because it was obvious when they were playing the Magic that they missed Horace Grant, but it wasn't because they needed someone to fill his roles because Horace Grant was a good player. And they went out and get Dennis Rodman, who was everything that they wanted him to be. And, and more aggressive. More aggressive than Horace Grant. <laughs> I just, when I think about this, um, this Bulls team and even some of the teams they played against is what made these teams so great is everybody knew their role and they embraced it. That's what I loved about Horace Grant. That's what I loved about Rodman, um, Pippen, Jordan, even Coach. Like pretty much everyone embraced their role and when you can look at a team and say that each position is important and that without one of those people it's just not the same that that speaks volumes because I think a lot of people did kind of look at Horace Grant and they were like oh he's all right whatever and then he left and it just left this whole hole on the team that they weren't expecting to have there. And then he lit it up on his new team. So and I like that. And this new team here, uh, this new version of the Bulls, with Dennis Rodman in the mix, with some players that uh, Michael had not played with before, you know, Luke Longley and Bill Wennington. And Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr. <laughs> They proceed to be the greatest team of all time. They go 72-10. and 10. Oh, God. So amazing. How does that happen? And, <laughs> well, it's because this, this was the greatest team of all time. It was the, it was the best collection of players um, that they had. And this, they all worked together. Like you said, they all worked together. They all knew their role. And they all helped just play to... To a level that no one saw before. I mean, there was the the one clip where they said that Scotty was just like, "Man, we're not losing for three months," right? <laughs> Which it, it seemed like that team couldn't lose. And interestingly enough, um, as we mentioned, Steve Kerr was on this team, and he had the little quote of, "This was the best team I was a part of." Which is interesting, considering you know the team he coached. In Golden State a couple years back. Did he mean like the? Did he mean that from a? I. He left he it open a, ended on purpose, I believe. But I could see that because I feel like that team was just so special. Every 
Bulls team was just so special. I feel like. It but was. I also am very biased. <laughs> yeah, so his exact quote is the best team I've ever been a part of. And while he leaves it open to interpretation, because he is that a part of meaning as a player? Or a part of meaning organizational-wise? So, read into it as you will. Uh, I'm looking at it as organizational-wise. So, from top to bottom, coaching everything. Which means, it seems like he's picking this team that he played on versus the team that he coached. And the important aspect of this entire uh, group or this debate or discussion is that this team won the championship. The team oh, he coached okay. didn't. <laughs> uh, and it was the it don't mean a thing with without a ring. Is that what the you said you had yeah. the hat? Is that what the hat said? One of the hats. The one hat I have. It that was one of them. Um, it was actually, they had a whole, there was like shorts that said that too. Um, the hat I have is just, it says, um, I don't have it in front of me. It's a red hat. It has a black bill. It has mm -hmm. the logo on it, like the, the bull's head. Mm -hmm. And then it says, um, it says championship season seventy two ten, and then I can't remember what it says underneath. It doesn't say it don't mean a thing without the ring. It says something like along the lines of um, like them making history or something like that. Um, so there was a lot of things that came out of that. Also, a lot of kids then changed their numbers to seventy two. I can see that. Yeah. Because 23, I, you were never getting that. The fact um, that any kid in Chicago was ever to get a number 23 on any jersey was always very shocking to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just one of those numbers that, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be very hard for for anyone playing basketball to get that number, but especially in Chicago. Right. But it's funny because he... Um, he only wore 23 because his brother was wearing 45 in high school. I think it was high school. I can't remember what the story is, but he, the 45 was like a number that their family wore. And so he picked 23 by default and it became like his number. And it, it's, it's funny how that works out. It's such an iconic number. Yeah. When it was, when it's just like, it just kind of happened. Um, and they absolutely bulldozed through this playoff run in, in, in 96. I'm, I'm looking at their schedule and it's just absolute demolition. Heat, three games, done. Knicks, five games. Their only loss coming in overtime, done. Magic, four games, done. Then they go up 3-0 on the Sonics. Then then the Sonics think they found something with, with Gary Payton guarding Michael Jordan. <laughs> and my favorite thing in the world was when Gary Payton was, was you know, talking 
um, about, you know, how things may have been different or, you know, I had his number. I was just kept tiring him out, tiring him out. And then Michael Jordan watched it on the iPad and he just started cracking up laughing. Right. <laughs> that laugh was just perfect. He's like, no, I just had a lot on my mind. <laughs> you were the last thing on my mind. <laughs> and it was there. Oh, sorry, keep going. And it was all, it was all, you know, going through, um, Leading up to that Father's Day, but uh, going back to the beginning of that series, Michael Jordan was telling a story about he was in a restaurant and George Carl was there. He was the uh, the coach of the Sonics at the time, correct? Mm. Yeah, yes, he was coach of the Sonics. Yes. Yeah, George Carl was there. He's the coach of the Sonics. I can't remember if he was coach of the Sonics or someone else, but he's coach of the Sonics, and he snubbed him. Didn't even say hi. Didn't say just walk right past him. And I'm thinking, are you dumb? If you just say hi, you, you you neutralize any possible negative thing that could have came out of this. Right. You, you know, <laughs> why give someone the motivation, even though they don't necessarily need the motivation, but don't go out of your way to do something that might come back to bite you in the ass. And that's exactly what he did. Yep. It's, it's like, um, it's almost like they want to prove that they can beat Jordan at his prime, like at his prime prime, like his godlike state. And then it just totally blows up in their face because there's Michael Jordan. And then there's like next level, petty, um, really driven, super competitive Jordan who has the skills to back it up. It's like what Steve... Kerr said it's like what I say we're super competitive but like we know that we might lose (laughs) yeah I mean just it's 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 absolutely insane sometimes it is but you know their run oh sorry oh go ahead I'm looking something up their run in the playoffs that year reminds me of the 2016 monsters playoffs. I know <laughs> totally going into hockey, of course, but it does because once the, the, at the time, Lake Erie now Cleveland, they, once they got going, they couldn't be stopped. Like they swept the first round. They could have swept the second round, but they got, I don't want to say they got cocky, but like it was against grand Rapids. It's a rivalry game. Like it's, but they won it in six. Um, and then they swept the third round and then they swept the championship. And it, it was just insane because once you they started going and any time that you were like, oh, you're not going to do this, that lit the fire under them. They all had that same mentality that Michael Jordan and the Bulls had in that um, that championship run, that 72-10 season. It just it's it's cool to see it in other sports, too that there are other teams who just steamroll other teams because they can and because they want to, and they have something to prove, but also they don't have something to prove. They just want to beat you. They don't, it's not even so much about winning anymore. It's about beating you. And like, those are the most exciting sporting events to see because they're like, we're going to win, but also we're going to beat you and it's going to hurt. 
and it's not going to be fun and it's going to be fast. <laughs> so, so touching on the not necessarily, you know, not giving people motivation thing. I mean, the thing with Michael Jordan is he didn't necessarily need someone to do something to him to, to get motivation. And they, they, <laughs> they talked about it in the form of the one and only LeBradford Smith. No, <laughs> he didn't even do anything. <laughs> LeBradford Smith had the game of his life. He scored 37 points. And according to Michael Jordan, after the game, he put his arm on him and said, good game or something like that or whatever it was, right? Something yeah. along those lines. And then, you know, Michael Jordan used that to to build up some motivation and be like, I'm going to score as many points as he had in a game than in a half. And he scored 36 points in the first half. Where, and LeBradford Smith did like nothing. Then it turns out, MJ made it all up. What never happened. So he just used this one person who had a good game, made up a story, and used that to create some imaginary slight in his head to just absolutely destroy that team that very next night. It's borderline crazy. It's borderline like an issue that you might have to go to a therapist for. Um, but the fact that he admitted <laughs> that he definitely made it up to keep himself motivated gives me a lot of hope for his sanity. <laughs> <because> <laughs> that's like, that's so next level. I mean. He, he created yeah. this, um, this imaginary source of motivation just to be like, uh, I'm, I'm going to ball out next time. And he did. Finished with 47 points, I think. 46, 47, some high 40s. It was just absolutely incredible that he, he went in that direction. And, and towards the end of, of that episode, it, it seemed like we're getting closer. Something I really liked during that is that, you know, they did a little jumping around and it's just, you know, the first round and the second round. Now we're on to be the third round. I imagine the finals of 98 are going to be the highlight of episode 10 the way it's it's building. It seems like we're going to get some talk about the Jazz in Episode 9 in their first meeting. Then it's probably going to be a big highlight show of, of the Jazz finals in 98 for Episode 10. It's just the way it seems like they're doing. Yeah, I'm not sure. Every time I think I know what they're going to do, they, they add something else to the mix. Well, it's just... a very... Very beautifully done from like an artistic standpoint. Mm -hmm. Everything that they have done for this um, this documentary, from the music to the clips they use to um, the storytelling and the way they bounce back the nonlinear storytelling. Mm -hmm. You know, you could totally just bomb nonlinear. It's so easy to, and they're not. And everything is just tying together. And it's connecting episode one to the next episode. And, and you're like, why is this person or why is this situation being talked about? And then you're like, oh, my gosh, like, that's why. And and I think, you know, what's funny um, is that ever since we saw the first <laughs> the first appearance of, of Michael Wozniak, the man with the most epic, ridiculous hair, MJ's, you know, security guy protecting the United Center. It seems like whoever edited it knew that everyone was going to love this guy once we first saw him <laughs> and kept just putting him more and more as it goes on. Because it seemed like he had the most appearances 
watching the the recent episodes compared to what we've seen. I want to go through the other episodes and see if maybe he's like in the background and we didn't catch it. <laughs> he he, he might have been because I mean the first time we saw him, or at least put got some real attention to him was we were playing a little quarter game and and it was just like whoa. Then you just you see the extra the other pictures and the other videos of him. It's just like okay. It, it, I just wonder if someone knew that he was going to take off as some sort of viral character, side character, background person, and just knew right. to keep inserting them. Because every time he appeared on the screen, my eyes locked into him like, what is he going to do? Me too. And you know what? I would totally buy a book called Where's Waz instead of Where's Waldo. And it would just be pictures, like you have to find a picture of him in all these basketball situations, <laughs> but he's doing the Jordan shrug. <laughs> <laughs> like, See, that would be fun. Right? I would pay good money for that. I would, I really hope someone is listening to these that actually has like connections to the team or ESPN, because these are solid ideas I've come up with today. <laughs> They're great. Uh, I mean, the, the only downside is his hair kind of gives him away some in some points. So you have to like kind of bury him in a sea of people, or maybe everybody has his hair in that, so it right. doesn't stick out as much. <laughs> Everyone has hair that hair and glasses. <laughs> yes, it would be beautiful. <laughs> maybe, uh. maybe maybe some pictures are uh, like in the dark, and it's like uh, it's it's harder to tell the hair color. I don't know. <laughs> So you don't have to just go that with specific hair color. It's just uh, just mountains of hair. I can't. Oh, man. Maybe they're out in the snow. Or maybe they're all on coins. (laughs) Instead of presidents, it's just a bunch of people's faces and you have to find one. That would be fantastic. So it seems like this is setting up for a good conclusion uh, next Sunday. And I'm really excited to watch these next two episodes because it's, I mean, I'm, I'm very familiar with, with some of the events in that final series. I had the, uh, the commemorative VHS, yes, VHS of that final series uh, titled Unforgettables. I had that. Uh, I don't know if you had that. It was, I think it was a Sports Illustrated uh, thing. I don't remember. I do. Ha- I do have the hardcover Sports Illustrated with Michael Jordan dunking says crowning gr- glory on it. I do have that still. Um, but the Unforgettables VHS it, it highlights that final series. It was really cool. Yeah, I watched it so much that I broke it. I, I watched that all the time. So like, many times I watched that. Our old um, video machine broke, like, ate it. And then I proceeded to put the Mighty Ducks in right after, and it ate that one, too. So we can tell that I wasn't always the brightest child back in the day. Well, it, it sounds like you, you only lost one VHS there. Um. <laughs> whoa, whoa, okay. This is a conversation for another day, but the Mighty Ducks is like one of the best fictional sports movies of all time. Note, I said fictional, so. I will counter with Major League. I mean, is it really 100%? I mean, yeah. 
Okay, it is one of the best as well. I thought you were gonna say Airbud, and I was like, oh, "This no. is off the rails." No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not countering with that trash. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh. <laughs> so I'm really excited to to, to relive some of the uh, the the moments of that final series, uh, just because. You know, I watched it so many times as a kid. I'm just gonna be fun to to watch the final series. I have the best memory of again. Yeah, for me, it's like it was a good uh, memory, <clears throat> but we were living in Ohio now, and so um, we were living in Ohio at that time. Are you and sure? I'm 100 percent sure. <laughs> I, I I know I said 91 the one time and then that would make me way older than I am <laughs> 96 is what I moved here um but so like they're always very special to me but there's just this sort of energy and magic that was surrounding it when you were watching it in um in Chicago or like in the suburbs like where I lived so it I mean it's kind of the same for you know, people don't understand quite the magic of the Cavs winning and people from Akron driving up to Cleveland right afterwards and, like, abandoning their cars on the highway because the the lines were so long just to get into the city to party, <laughs> to celebrate. Like, people don't understand that because they weren't here, you know? So it um, it was special to me, but it didn't have the same effect um is probably the first three for me and that um yeah and that's something that we can definitely uh dive into on on next week's episode is the 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 effect it had on you uh, that one compared to some of the other ones and how everything sort of unfolded because i'm sure we're going to find some or discover some new information or some more stories about stuff that we didn't necessarily know till now. And I'm really excited to hear those because that was just such a, you know, an epic series with the jazz in two consecutive years that it's, it really is going to be, um, I guess, you know, just a good source of nostalgia and new information. Yeah. I also like that we're seeing different teams that they played against. Like it wasn't, like the same teams. Does that make sense? Like in the finals. You know oh, so like- are you talking about Cavs Warriors four times in a row? <laughs> yeah. You can go play, blame the team in the Bay Area for that one. 